Oh, my God. 
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org and of course on the NSN app. I give a special welcome to those who are traveling back from the Catskill region or anywhere upstate and tuned in to 90.1 FM and ready to switch back to our flagship 91.1 FM at some point during this broadcast. Uh, We will skip our Monday morning theme song. That will return next week once we uh, have completed Tish Above in our nine days format. We are officially in our nine days format now here at JM in the AM. And uh, one of the components of our nine days format, in addition to uh, interviews, conversation, and other recorded pieces, are the uh, lectures by Beryl Wine, and uh, one of the most uh, amazing lecture series that he has is the one on Jewish values. Uh, Often it is uh, important to start with some of these before we get into some of the historical historical subjects and other topics with Rabbi Wine. Uh, Information about Rabbi Wine's series, it's RabbiWine, W-E-I-N.com, RabbiWine, W-E-I-N.com, or 1-800-499-W-E-I-N, 1-800-499-W-E-I-N. The series is called Jewish Values, and the first one we're going to be doing is the first lecture in the series uh, entitled Pleasantness. You're listening to JM in the AM. We're in our nine days format. Rabbi Beryl Wine takes us through the first hour on a Monday morning here at JM in the This AM. series concerns itself with, uh, what shall I say, the fifth section of the Shulchan Aruch. In back of the Shulchan Aruch uh, is God. And that's the ultimate uh, goal. And uh, the values of Judaism are... Uh, primary in influencing uh, the other four sections of the Shulchan Aruch. And it's primary in assessing what a Jew should be. Now, we have very high standards. And even if we don't reach those standards, at least we have an idea of what we are striving for. And the Torah does not compromise its values. Uh, The Torah is not The Torah is willing to forgive people, but it's not willing to forgive values. By that I mean we're not allowed to change the value simply because I can't do it, or I didn't do it, or because it's hard. So for that we have a Yom Kippur. For that we have tshuva. Uh, For that we have all sorts of mechanisms that even if the person is not perfect, uh, we can somehow raise him to some level of perfection. But the Torah never compromises its values. The Torah never says, well, since you can't do it, it's all right if you don't do it. And the Torah does not mark on a curve. The Torah does not say, you know, everybody does it, so we'll give you an A. By the Torah, 60 is a 60, and an 80 is an 80, and 100 is a 100. And so, therefore, I felt that uh, as a series, uh, we should uh, discuss and understand what these values are, their great importance, and how we see them reflected in the Torah itself. 
And many times we don't always see them reflected in Jews. Well, I've always said that one should never confuse Jews with Judaism. It's two different things. And we're talking here about Judaism, about Yahadus, about what the Torah represents. And we certainly should never confuse religion with rabbis. And uh, because of that, therefore, uh, we have this uh, system of values. Tonight's value that I'm going to discuss, which is the opening one in this series, has to do with pleasantness, with being nice. A trait that uh, sometimes here in Israel people say, well, he's a friar, which is the ultimate insult in Israel. The ultimate insult is that you let the other guy cut in in front of you in the lane. The second ultimate insult So uh, the value of pleasantness is based upon a posseg in Tehillim, that, and rather in Mishle, uh, that we all know, Jocheo Darche Noam, the Nesivoseo Shalom. Jocheo Darche Noam, the paths of the Torah are ways of pleasantness. And uh, so even though that's a verse that we all know, and we recite it when the Torah is put back in the ark, uh, but uh, it's not meant to be merely... A nice phrase. It is meant to apply to halacha and to how Jews behave. And I'm going to give you uh, eight, nine, ten examples of it tonight. And this is not certainly not a full discussion of the matter, but we'll see how this value of pleasantness applies uh, in the Torah and in the Torah's outlook on how we should behave. The Sephorno, Abeno Vadio Misforno, uh, 15th century uh, Italian doctor and rabbi. There was a period of time that a lot of the rabbis were doctors, or a lot of the doctors were rabbis. I don't know which, how it worked. And uh, so he uh, wrote a uh, very, very famous commentary to Chumash. Sforno is the name of his town. But he's known as the Sforno. Uh, he immortalized this uh, rather small Italian town uh, by his parish. So he discusses the halachas of Kashrus, which uh, we read in Parsha Shmini, in Chumash Vayikra. So it says, V'sachayo asher tochelu. This is, uh, these are the creatures that you should eat, and these are the creatures that you should not eat. So he says, what difference does it make what we eat? Why should the Lord be interested, so to speak, in our diet? So he discards immediately as a doctor the idea of health, which is many times advanced as a reason for kashras. Uh, whether or not it's because he felt that uh, this century's medicine is the next century's quackery. 
uh, medicine constantly changes, or whether he felt that uh, perhaps the kosher foods are not necessarily uh, healthy foods. Having just survived Pesach, all of us can testify to that. Right? You know, it's uh, good old Eastern European Jewish food was cholesterol heaven. Kosher, but not necessarily healthy. And therefore, he doesn't, he doesn't accept health as being the reason. But he says as follows. He says that because there is such a thing as drochea darche noam, there's a pleasantness in eating. So not every food should be eaten because the food itself is, so to speak, a violation of the pleasantness of life. And therefore he says, Lo sitamu all of the crawling things, uh, the shellfish, etc. He says these things, it's not nice. It doesn't appeal to our aesthetics. The fact that in the world it made to certain groups of people doesn't change the fact that in God's system of aesthetics, this is not nice to eat. Therefore, he says, that says, V'yisem G'doshim, you shall be holy. What is the definition of holy? The definition of holy is to be a pleasant person, to be able to stay away from things that are unpleasant. And therefore, he says, in the Torah, it says, V'nitmeisembom, you become unholy, you become defiled by eating these creatures. So the Gemara says, You become gross. You become boorish. You become unmannered. You become unpleasant by eating these things. In Yiddish you would say, You're stopped up. And therefore he says that the halachas of what to eat and what not to eat stem from this idea of pleasantness, stem from the ideas of and he says the same thing is true in the halachas of Tara Samishpocha, of family purity, and the halachas of Zov and Nida and all and Yoledes is all a question of pleasantness. Because in the ancient world it was a question of superstition. It was a question of, uh, of uh, somehow uh, disease. He says none of that applies. What applies here is this idea of pleasantness. And therefore, everything in life has to be done in a pleasant fashion. And therefore, he says that's why in the Torah, we, the Torah is worried about not only what we eat, but how we eat. The Torah, for instance, is against fast foods. The Torah is against eating standing. Uh, the Torah has all sorts of, what do they care what I'm standing? Uh, what, the Gemara says that one of, in today's world, we have different tests uh, for making matches between uh, men and women. Important items like what color tablecloth is used and uh, other uh, major issues. 
But one of the things the Gomorrah asks is, does the person eat in the street? person that eats in the street, it's unpleasant. It's not manners. And Jocheo Darche Noam requires that we eat with manners as well. The, uh, the uh, din of Mai Machronim is because of the fact they didn't have forks in the ancient world. Forks are an invention of the Middle Ages. And so people ate with their hands, with their fingers, so you had to wash off your fingers before, uh, uh, before uh, being able to uh, say Bircha uh, Samoza. And other things simply have to do with a pleasant way of life, a pleasant demeanor, an attitude of pleasantness in the world. And therefore, he takes the laws of kashras, which we would say have nothing to do with this, and he inserts it under this value, that what we eat and how we eat, the way we eat, and the Gemara says, you know, you're supposed to limit conversation while you're eating because ain't masichim besuda. Gemara has all sorts of... Who asked them? The Gemara is not Emily Post. It's not an etiquette book. And the answer is because it all comes under this rubric. It all comes under this title of pleasantness. And there's a pleasant way to eat. And the Torah describes it for us. And uh, this... Uh, is further enhanced by the fact that the Gemara teaches us, and it became one of the principles of the Bali Musar, and Bishoel Salanter wrote, A person is created by his actions, by what he does. We think of it in the opposite. You know, the person is this and this type of person, therefore he does this and this and this. And we saw Salanter turn that on its head. He said, if you will do these and these actions, then you'll become this and this type of person. And therefore, if you will be pleasant, then you, if you do pleasant things, you will somehow become a pleasant person even if you start out being an unpleasant person. Because a person is fashioned according to the behavior, according to what he does. So we'll see that Sephurno continues and says a remarkable insight. Shemi asher midosov mekulkolos You have a person that he has bad character, bad behavior, he's an unpleasant person, and he's a completely observant Jew. It's what the Ramban calls a novel Bershusat Torah. Because without the values, without the fifth section of the Shulchan Aruch, the first four are not going to do it. So he says... He said, people will then come because their behavior, their attitude, their manners are bad. So after a while, they will substitute their behavior and their understanding of right and wrong 
for the absolute understanding that the Lord and the Torah gave us. And they'll come out lonachonos. They will do things that are wrong. The Gemara says the Jews never believed in Avodah They never believed in paganism. Jews never believed that this idol can do anything for me. So then why do they worship idols during the entire time of the first temple? For hundreds of years. Because idolatry allowed them to be sexually immoral. And that's what they wanted. But you couldn't get up and say, I want to be sexually immoral. So you got up after a while because you were sexually immoral. You got up and I said, well, I'm pagan. And in paganism, it's allowed. And if we'll substitute other things today, uh, you'll hear it very clearly, right? I'm allowed. Because I'm doing it. So when I create a philosophy to justify my behavior. And therefore, he says, you see how important the Rabboni Shalom felt, Kaviyochel, in this idea of Jocheo Darche Noam, in the first chapter in Bracious. God says, Nase Odom Betzalmeinu Chidmuseinu. Now the word Nase implies that he was talking to someone. It also implies that he was asking permission from someone. It also implies that someone helped him create human beings. Nase, let us together make. Now all of that is nonsense. Because God uh, uh, has no partners. So then why does it say Nase? So Rashi already comments that the Torah is teaching us here ways of pleasantness, that even the greatest of people, even the chief justice, even the president, even the prime minister, should not take unilateral action without consulting with others. And that in order to put that lesson across, that if you want to have a pleasant society, you cannot act unilaterally, you cannot do on important issues what I want to do, but you have to speak to others and see what they say as well. So the Torah risked the fact that there will come people and say, well, look in the Bible. In the Bible it says, let us make man. So it must be that there is something else besides God. And in Christology, uh, that is used, right, as part of the Trinity, the us. So the Sephorno says, so then why did God do that? Why did God risk to put the word nasa uh, when evidently it is a word that can cause great problems? So he says, Shehechlit HaKadosh Baruch God was willing to take the risk that philosophically people will make a mistake. And they'll say, that there's more than one God in heaven. Because he wanted to teach us as Torah Sohanova. 
the necessity for modesty, the necessity for humility, the necessity to consult with others, the necessity not to say, I'm the only one that knows what's right. I'm the only one that can do it. It's me. And God wanted that lesson, that value, that value of the fact that others have to somehow also be consulted, that's so important that God risked the word Naseh because the gain from understanding that Rabboni Shalom himself, Kaviocho, is willing to consult, that lesson is a greater gain than the risk of the loss that people will think that there's more than one God in the world. And therefore he says, the bottom line is, behavior governs. And if you have good behavior, so then, then you will have correct attitudes and correct hashkofos as well, because your behavior will shape how you look at the world and how you look at others. I remember when I was in the yeshiva in Chicago uh, a few days ago. Uh, it really feels like a few days ago, you know, when you get to my age, so then all of a sudden you start remembering. You start forgetting also, but you start remembering. So in the yeshiva, I went to the yeshiva in a time when none of us had any money. No, we had an allowance, a uh, dollar a week maybe. And you had to give zdoka from it, and you paid your car fare from it, and you bought the candy bar from it, and that was it. Because my parents had no more, and there were boys and my friends that didn't even have the dollar. So every day in the yeshiva in Davning, there were they, they would pass around the pushka, the zdoka box. And the zdoka box, you'd put in a penny. Two pennies, because you only had a dollar. I mean, how much could you afford? And the Zucker box always made noise. So, uh, you know, you're never as uh, clever and astute as when you're 15 years old. Because from then on, it's downhill all the way. <laughs> but when you're 15, you understand it all. You got, you, you got it all very clear. So I remember I went over to the Mashgiach, the Rabbi Wernig, Zechid Sadek Levrocha, and I said, Rabbi, you know, they pass around the pushke, and the, everybody puts in a penny. I mean, the end of the week, you got $3 from the whole yeshiva, and it makes noise, and it's in the middle of Chazor Sashats, and it's not nice. And uh... So he says to me, he said, well, he said, you know why we pass around the pushke? Because we're training you to give tzedakah every day. To put your hand in your pocket and every day. He said, today you can only give a penny. He said, there'll come a day you'll be able to give a dollar. There'll be a day that you'll be able to give a hundred dollars. But if your hand is not trained, if it's atrophied, if Chasrisholim, you know, the person is paralyzed, he can't, he never put his hand in his pocket. So even when he has, and even when he wants to, he can't do it. 
I remember I once went with the Ponovizhirov to see a Jew who was notorious for being a miser. And I said, Rebbe, we're wasting our time. And he said, no, 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 no. We're going to do him a favor. He said, we're going to rice rice in the guilt for them. We're going to rip the money out of him. for the, We're doing him the biggest favor. We're going to rip it out of him. And he did. I mean, it was a masterpiece. You know, and it was a sizable check. The man couldn't sign the check. It took him ten minutes. He picked up the pen. He put it down. He picked it up. He started to sign. He stopped. He just couldn't do it. His hand didn't write. And that's after he committed and he said he was going to do it and he knew he was going to do it. But because he never gave, so then you can't do it. So this idea, this Sephorno says, is drachea darche noam, if you live a life of pleasantness, so then you change yourself. And your attitudes change. Your behavior governs your attitude. But if first you want to become a pleasant person, and then you're going to do pleasant things, unlikely that it will ever happen. If you want to think through the entire uh, uh, philosophy of charity and, philosophy and uh, philanthropic behavior, it's not likely that you're going to be a charitable person. A charitable person has to train oneself. I always remembered the words of the Mashgiach because of the fact that the truth of the matter is that you have to train people. We are just like all of the other in the animal kingdom as far as that is concerned, that we can be trained. That really was the idea of the Musser movement, Rabbi Saw Salanter and the Musser movement is that he wanted people to have the values of Torah, and the only way to have the values of Torah was to train them to do things. And uh, the Muslim movement was a great success in 19th and early 20th century Lithuania. It was destroyed in the Holocaust. It has never been rebuilt. It is one of the great victims of the Holocaust, of which there are many. Not only are people victims and families are victims, and the Jewish people are victims because of what was destroyed. Let's proceed to another idea in which we see Jochea Darche Noam. It says in the Torah, Kol almono v'ger lo sa'anun. You shall not persecute, afflict, take advantage of the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. So Rashi says, Hu adin It's not restricted to the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. You can't do it to anybody. Why did the Torah mention specifically the widow, the orphan, and the stranger? Because they're pretty much defenseless. They're more vulnerable to people taking advantage of them. They don't have someone to defend them. And therefore, the Torah puts special emphasis on the fact that you shall not oppress the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. That's Rashi's pshat. The Rambam has a different view completely. The Rambam in the Sefer HaMitzvos, he counts the 613 mitzvahs. So uh, the Rambam generally says, I will only count the mitzvah 
That's a category. Underneath that category, there can be many sub-things, things that come under that, that are mitzvahs, but that's not the 613. So when the Rambam has Avodah Zorah, so then he counts, you know, all the types of Avodah Zorah, but they are not a separate mitzvah in the 613. They're all under the general category of Avodah Zorah. So the Rambam here, according if he would adopt Rashi's opinion, he would put down the fact that you're not allowed to take advantage and persecute another person, period. And the other person includes everybody, the widow, the orphan, the stranger. The Rambam has individual mitzvahs. You're not allowed to persecute someone or take advantage of someone. That's a regular person, Odom Ragil. And then he says you're not allowed to take advantage of an almona. And then he says another mitzvah, you're not allowed to take advantage of a yatom, of an orphan. And then he says another mitzvah, you're not allowed to take advantage of the gear. So the Rambam's got four mitzvahs where Rashi had one. So then why did the Rambam have four? So the Rambam saw in the attitude and the behavior towards the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, he saw a different attitude than in the attitude towards an Odom Ragil. So therefore he says as follows, Bishum noam, because the Torah is the Torah of pleasantness. And therefore, the halacha is, not only shall you not take advantage, that's not sufficient, to these people you have to speak nicely, softly, gently. Somebody else you can holler at. Somebody else you can, you can, you can speak firmly. But the Almona, Yosem, and Ager, the Rambam says you have to speak Dvorim, Rakim, Biyoser, Vanachas. And you have to treat them in the best way possible. And your attitude towards them has to be the best attitude possible. The Rambam keeps on saying, more than what anyone else. And you should try and do more and more in this matter. Because that's Drochel Adarche Noam. So now we see that Drochel Adarche Noam is a sliding scale. It depends who, and we'll see in a minute, it depends on the person himself or herself who's doing the action. Who is he? And then it depends on the recipient, right? Who you're talking to. And if that person, the Rambam says, is an Almona, a Ger, or a Yoso, uh, so then you're held to a different standard. That's a different mitzvah. And that mitzvah is impelled because of the fact that we have raised the bar of Drochel Darchenoam. Our definition of being pleasant has been raised. And unless we, we are aware of that, so then we miss the value that the mitzvah attempted to put within us.
There's an interesting point that the Ramban makes in his introduction to the Chumash. It's perish to the Chumash, the, the Torah. The Ramban, as you all know, is a great Mekubo. The Ramban is probably the first uh, person that put out a perush to the Torah, Alpi Kabbalah. He calls it Alpi Derech Sod, uh, the secret, or sometimes he call it Alpi Derech Oemes, the true way. But he says Kabbalah. In the int- so, I mean, he says uh, Pshat, he says, says uh, his commentary uh, in, the, uh, in the rational way. But then he always adds uh, Kabbalistic ideas. The Ramban says in the introduction, and it's a really it's strange why then he put it, he said, forget about the Kabbalah that I write in, the, uh, in, the, uh, in my parish. Don't, don't bother to look at it. Unless you're a great Mekubal. Unless you yourself are immersed in Kabbalah, and he doesn't mean the Kabbalah Center in Los Angeles. Unless you are immersed in Kabbalah, he says, don't read it. It's not for you. Because the Torah is Jorcheo Darche Noam. It's the way of pleasantness. And Kabbalah is not the way of pleasantness. Because it raises us to a world that we don't understand and we don't see. And if you learn the Torah, or if you're involved in Kabbalah, and you don't understand it, and you're not worthy of it, so then the Torah is unpleasant to you. Because then the Torah says fanciful things that you have no idea what they're talking about. And therefore he says, Al Yaharsu El Hashem Liros. Don't you, this, uh, this first part of the introduction is hardly ever taught. But it's the basis of a lot of problems in the Jewish world. He says, Al Yaharsu Lalos El Hashem. He quotes the Posik that the Jewish people shouldn't run up the mountain of Sinai to come see God. Ki Hashem Elokeinu Eish Ochla. God is an all-consuming fire. Who El Kanos is the God of zealousness. Vuhu Yire Es Ritsuyov Mitoroso Niflos. And he shows to those who are able to see it wonders. However, but what is greater than you, farther than you, more than what you are, don't search there. What is too strong for you, don't bother to investigate it. And what is wiser than you, you'll never understand. And what is covered from you, don't bother to ask. You think about what you have permission to think about, meaning the nigla, the revealed Torah. And you have no business with the higher elements, with the Kabbalah, with the secret Torah, etc. Because then you destroy the Drochea Darche Noah. And that's what the Gemara says. Arboa nichnesu lapardes. 
four great rabbis entered the realm of metaphysics, uh, the realm of Kabbalah. So one was uh, Shimon Ben Zoma. Shimon Ben Zoma uh, lost his mind, became insane from the matter. One was Shimon Ben Azai, who never married or had a family. One was Elisha Ben Avuya, who became an apostate, became an apicorus. And Rabbi Akiva was the only one that got in and got out whole. So again, why? Because it's not Darchenoam, right? It's not uh, the example that the Bali Musa always gave is that if you, you know, if you go to someone's house, uh, it's not manners to go traipsing around the house and opening every closet. Unless you're the mother-in-law, but otherwise... <laughs> Otherwise, it doesn't happen, right? It's none of your business. So the Bali Musers say that the, the Torah is our house. And when you come in, we're invited into the house. So you see the living room, the dining room, the kitchen maybe. And, you know, that's open for you. But to go around, what are you doing opening the closet, right? You're not, you're, you're, it's not pleasant. It's not manners. It's not acceptable behavior. So he takes this idea and applies it to Kabbalah. And he says, Kabbalah is opening the closet. So if you're worthy, if you're Rabbi Akiva, if you're a great Mikubal, if you're the Ari, okay, Mele. But for ordinary people uh, who really are not grounded in Kabbalah, and who have no uh, experience in the matter, so then uh, it's just uh, ill-mannered. It's not jachel darchenoam. It's not pleasant. And because it's not pleasant, then you're not allowed to do it. It's not nice. We live in a time when, you know, Kabbalah is uh, just wonderful, right? Everybody's a Kabbalist. From Madonna upwards. Everybody's into it. Everybody wants spiritual. But uh, the Torah is not made that way. The Torah is meat and potatoes. Everybody wants dessert. Right? You go to a restaurant, you order five desserts. Good. But that's also not Darche Noam. And therefore, that was always the reluctance uh, of... Uh, of great sections of the Jewish people uh, to even discuss Kabbalah publicly or to have it out in the public domain because of the fact that it violates this principle of pleasantness, of Jocheo Darche Noah. The Rambam says another idea of Jocheo Darche Noam, all of which we see in this value cuts across all of Torah. The famous question is asked, the Ramban and the Rambam discuss it, why were the Egyptians punished? God said, Kiger lolahem. He told Avram Avinu that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And they will be slaves and they'll be tortured for 400 years. And then they'll be redeemed. They'll go out with it. 
So if God said it was going to happen, what do you want from the Egyptians? They just did what God said was going to happen. So the Ramban says uh, that the Egyptians were punished because uh, they enjoyed it and they overdid it. You can be a stranger and you can be a servant. You don't have to have a, a quota of bricks without straw and you don't have to take children and mortar them into the walls. And Ramban says that they were punished for the excess. But he accepts the fact that the Egyptians somehow had a an excuse that they could have said, we only did what God told us to do. The Rambam uh, doesn't tolerate that. The Rambam says, God didn't say they had to do it. God just, not a commandment. God is just telling Avram Avinu that such a thing will happen. It will happen, he said. But it isn't, I'm not commanding anybody to do it. Because to command somebody to do it is not Jocheo Darchenoam. Not pleasant. That's not me. I never command any th that such a thing should happen. And therefore he says, the Egyptians violated the Jocheo Darchinoam. He says, why? First of all, Asher Lo Yodais Yosef. They were ungrateful. They had ingratitude for what Yosef did for them. And that is the root of being an unpleasant person is someone that has no sense of gratitude, no sense of appreciation, no sense of what was done for him. So then that's an obvious, that, that itself is a violation of the principle. And therefore, the Rambam says that they were punished, the Egyptians were punished because they had no right to do it from the beginning. And that their behavior was a violation of Jocheo Darchenoa. And therefore, the makos that came against them, the plagues, were justified. And being drowned at the Red Sea was justified. Simply because, in fact, that was the fruits of their own behavior, of how they themselves worked at it. The Rambam continues regarding Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe is punished. What is he punished for? Well, he hit the rocks. He hit the rock. So for that, you don't go in there to soil. Jewish agency was unwilling to pick him up. Why? He hit the rock. So the Rambam has a theory. The Rambam's theory regarding Moshe is that's, that's the point that I made before, that since Moshe is the greatest of all human beings, so therefore his ways of pleasantness are held to the highest standard. Anger by Moshe is unacceptable. By Moshe, anger is not Jocheo Darche Noam. And since it says, Vayiktsov Moshe, Moshe was angry, and in his anger he smote the rock, so it's not because he smote the rock, it's because he was angry. So Moshe violates his own principle of Jocheo Darche Noam. Where do we see the Jocheo Darche Noam by Moshe? We see it He's willing to sit all day and all night and judge the Jewish people by himself. His father-in-law comes along. All fathers-in-law have better ideas. His father-in-law comes along and says, Novel Tibo, 
you'll waste away, this is not the way to do it, you make an administration of justice, we'll put it all together for you. And Moshe accepts it. What did Moshe think in the beginning? Everything that Yisro told him he knew in the beginning. So the Rambam says, in the beginning he thought that Rochea, Darche Noam, compelled him to do it. A Jew comes and he has a problem. He has a Din Torah, and Moshe is going to say, you know, go see Shmerel, I'm busy. Go to this court, go to the Pakid. It's not Jochea Darche Noam, I came to see you. Everybody wants to have the Din Torah by Moshe, right? Nobody wants to have the Din Torah by Shmerel. So Moshe felt that Jochea Darche Noam, being a pleasant person, he has to submit himself to that discipline, to that regimen. He has to judge every case. He has to answer every question. When I was uh, the head of the OU, uh, also a few days ago, so uh, I get calls from... Uh, uh, my mashgichim from those uh, that were the kosher supervisors. So in California, they were three hours behind. And then I had guys in Hawaii, and I had guys in Thailand. and uh, So they'd call me two in the morning, three in the morning. he get on the phone, he would say, Rabbi Vine, he said, I'm calling you now, I don't want to bother you in the office. But, you know, you got to take it, right? Because if you're, uh, what I'm going to tell them, don't call me. So then next time, you know, they'll have a crisis and he won't call me. So Moshe is always at the service of the people. And therefore, Moshe has this supreme value of Jocher Darchenom. If you have this supreme value of Jocher Darchenom, then what are you getting angry for? Who said that anger is permissible? And that, the Rambam says, was the source of why he wouldn't come into Eretz Israel. Because of the anger, not because of the action. We have another example. How the Torah itself and its wording is careful about Rachel Darche Noam. You have to pay attention to the words of the Torah. <coughs> Yosef HaTzadik goes to look for his brothers. Can't find them. He meets a man in the street, in the field. And he says to them, to him, uh, did you see my brothers? You know, ten guys in black hats walking around. Did you see them? you have any doubt that the Shvotim wore the... So the man answers him, Cain, yeah, I know, that, I know what you're talking about. Shomati, I heard them say, Nelcho dosoina. We're going to Dosan. So the Gemara Darshans, the Medrash Darshans on the word Nelcho dosoina, that from the word Nochel, a conspiracy, Nochledas, they already conspired to make a law to justify the fact that they were going to kidnap and sell Yosef. And that that idea is what the Torah is telling us when it says, Nelchu dosoino, because who cares what, where they went, right? I mean, it's not germane to the story. 
the Mephorshim say, Rashi is the one that says it here on the Posik. Nichlei dosos. Avokolze rak beremes. The Torah didn't say that. The Torah said simply what? Neilcho dosoino. We're going to doso. We take the words neilcho dosoino and we read into it the fact that they made this conspiracy. Why didn't the Torah say it? Because if the Torah would have said it, the whole story would be much clearer. And you wouldn't ask, why did the Torah write where they went? Who cares where they went? So he says, Mishum Noem. We don't want to say with a full mouth. It's not nice that the Torah should write with a full mouth what the brothers were going to do. And therefore the Torah left it over only hidden in the words. So that if you want to, you can read the Parsha simply, quickly. They went to Dosan, fine. But if you really want to understand it, it means more than that. It means they conspired to destroy him. But the Torah won't say it openly. Rashi says the same thing in the beginning of Chumash Dvarim. In the beginning of Chumash Dvarim, so it says, and then it lists all the places that the Jewish people went. etc. So Rashi says, Moshe is going to tell them off now, right? Moshe is again, you know, the last speech, so he's going to tell the members really what he thinks. So he's going to tell, he's going to give them tochocha. He's going to give them a hard time now. And therefore he names every place where the Jewish people sinned in the desert. But it doesn't say that. It's just, uh, it just names places, right? So if you learn it simply, you know, you just pass it by. So he's just telling you, Ben Tofel, the Zohov, the all of these different places, oases in the desert. J.M. and the Amor by Wine will continue, and we'll get to his uh, observation regarding the uh, discussion in Parshas Dvarim. Coming up here at J.M. and the Amor, it's Monday on this August 8th, day 4 in the month of Menachem Av, the year 5776, Tav Shanai and It's a nine days, and it's a nine days format here at J.M. and the Amor. We've opened things up today. After Modani, with Rai Beryl Wine's lecture on pleasantness, his lectures uh, are available and information about them available at 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN, or RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. Um, so I thank uh, Rabbi Wine for his uh, contribution to our program during the nine days format, and he will conclude the lecture on pleasantness coming up. What do we have left? We have left about uh, 10 minutes or so. He'll do that after our newscast here at JM in the AM. Also, I am proud to say, as I always am, that uh, one of the most amazing, before there were books and before there were um, uh, analyses regarding the Lubavitcher Rebbe, there was uh, an incredible presentation given by my father, Rabbi Zev Siegel, at the Shloshim of the Lubavitcher Rebbe on the 3rd of Av. Uh, anniversary of the Shloshim is yesterday. Um, 23 years ago, 22 years ago, excuse me, 22 years ago, it was given here in New Jersey in West Orange, a congregation of Asachim and A. Jacob and David, 
Um, the program was under the leadership of Rabbi Hurston of the Rabbinical College of America. And um, I believe in those, I'm not sure exactly how long, maybe 25 minutes or so, in those 25 minutes or so, um, we heard, and today again at 8 o'clock you will hear, one of the most amazing biographies of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Some of the most incredible things about him, as only my father could have transmitted to that audience and to this audience. So I'll be coming up here at JM&M at about 8 o'clock this morning. I'm proud each year to present it on the 3rd of Av. This year it's the 4th, because yesterday was a uh, Sunday. So we'll present it today, and that'll be coming up in the 8 o'clock hour here at JM and the AM. I hope everybody will be tuned in, and we'll continue to enjoy our spoken word programming uh, here at JM and the AM during our 9 days format. 73 degrees outside with 60% humidity, winds are north at 2 miles an hour, partly cloudy and a high temperature of 88. Then tonight, mostly clear, low of 70. Tomorrow, sunshine, a high temperature, 87 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 82. In a lot, 93 going up to 105. <laughs> that's, that's fine with me. Uh, up in Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Missouri started 53 degrees up there, going up to 79 with sunshine today. Uh, send best regards to everybody up at Camp Missouri. 73 now in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. I want to thank those who are commenting on the NSN app. That's something you could do, everybody can do. Make sure to install the NSN Nahum Single Network app on your iPhone or Android, and you can go ahead and uh, comment on the app at any point. Uh, you'll see on the home screen it says add a comment, and it really is as simple as that. Simple as that. Um, trying to see what else I wanted to remind everybody about. The unfortunately, the Israeli team at the Olympics is not doing as well as we would have wished. According to the Jerusalem Post, matters went from bad to worse for the Israeli delegation in the second day of action on Sunday. Golan Pollock and Gilly Cohen, two of Israeli uh, judo's big guns, were knocked out in their opening bouts, and Israel's top swimmer Yaakov Tumarkin was also far from his best. Unfortunately, so um. What can I tell you? We tried very hard, didn't we? <laughs> we uh, we are rooting very hard to see if maybe one of the Israelis can uh, finish in a medal spot. So far, it's not looking promising, but you never know, I guess. Um, Monday morning, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. We've got our news from Israel coming up. Galit Sal is in the background. We'll do our news from Israel in um, just a moment. Pollock, by the way, Golan Pollock from the, the judo, Israeli judo team, won a bronze medal at last year's world championship. But after less than two minutes in the first round in his competition, he was upset by uh, a gentleman named Matthew Punza of Zambia. And, uh, and that was that. So not, uh, not doing as well as we thought, but uh, hopefully that will change during these Olympic Games for the Israeli team. We're in a nine days format here at JM in the AM. Our barrel wine and the topic of pleasantness that will be completed uh, coming up. In the 8 o'clock hours, I mentioned my father's, uh, Rabbi Zev Siegel, of blessed memory, his incredible 25-minute Shloshim presentation from 22 years ago about the Lubavitcher Rebbe, uh, I believe one of the most incredible, comprehensive 
biographies of the Rebbe you're ever going to hear. Certainly vignettes about the Rebbe, which are amazing. So we'll do that coming up. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Monday follows next. We say Boker Toe from Germany. גליצאל השעה שתיים, כאן שיבל קרמי מנסור עם מה שקורה עכשיו. משרד האוצר מתכנן קיצוץ רוחבי של שני אחוזים בתקציב המדינה הקרוב. כתבנו תומר ורון. ההסכמים הקואליציוניים כמו אלה המעניקים הנחות בתחבורה הציבורית או חיסכון לכל ילד הגדילו את הוצאות הממשלה בצורה משמעותית ועל כן יוחלט כעת לקצץ בהוצאות משרדיה באמצעות קיצוץ רוחבי. כך למשל תקציב משרד החינוך המתוכנן יקוצץ ב-176 מיליון שקלים. כמו כן, כדי לעמוד בהוצאות הוחלט לדחות בחצי שנה את הסכם השכר עם עובדי המגזר הציבורי, דבר שיביא לחיסכון של כ-2 מיליארד שקלים בשנה הבאה. רשת התעופה דלתא איירליינס קרקעה את כל טיסותיה בעקבות תקלה במערכת השירות של החברה. כתבתנו קרן בן מרדכי. המערכות שלנו קרסו בכל מקום ואנשינו מנסים לתקן את התקלה, כך נכתב בחשבון הטוויטר של חברת התעופה האמריקנית. אלפי נוסעי דלתא חווים עיכובים בנמלי התעופה ברחבי העולם בשל כשל מערכתי במחשבים שהוביל לתחיית הטיסות. והחברה נמסר שטיסת דלתא מתל אביב לניו יורק שצפויה לצאת הלילה אחרי חצות תמריק המתוכנן. לוחמי צה"ל שהתגייסו לפני שלוש שנים יזכו למימון הצבא ללימודים אקדמיים או ללימודי מקצוע כבר מאוקטובר הקרוב. בשיחה עם יעל דן סיפר דובר צה"ל תת-אלוף מוטי אלמוז כי קיום התוכנית לא יפגע בתוכניות אחרות בצבא. חייל או חיילת מסיימים שירות בצה"ל, בהתחלת שירות קרבי בצה"ל ואחר כך כולם, זוכים לתואר ראשון או מקצוע לכל החיים. נראה לי רעיון מצוין. יש סיבות טובות למה החלטנו לסגור חלק מהפרויקטים שסגרנו, ויש סיבות טובות מאוד ללמה אנחנו חושבים שהפרויקט הזה יכול להצליח ומדוע הוא נחוץ בתנים האלה. התוכנית פורסמה הבוקר בידיעות אחרונות. נשיא טורקיה ארדואן אומר כי אם דרישת טורקיה לביטול אשרות כניסה לאזרחיה לאירופה לא תיענה, הסכם הפליטים עליו חתמה עם האיחוד האירופי יהיה בסכנה. כתבתנו שירה נאות. ארדואן תקף בחריפות את האיחוד האירופי והוסיף, טורקיה היא היחידה שזוכה ליחס כזה, יותר משלושה מיליון פליטים נמצאים בשטחנו, והדאגה הגדולה ביותר של אירופה היא שיגיעו לשטחה. אשרות הכניסה לאזרחי טורקיה היו אמורות להתחיל ב-1 ביוני. דובר מטעם משרד החוץ של גרמניה הגיב לדברים ואמר שמדינה שיש בה עונש מוות, כפי שמנסה ארדואן להכיל, לא תוכל להיות חברה באיחוד האירופי. אמר אסטדמאייר, הרכש החדש של הפועל ירושלים הוצג באופן רשמי במסיבת עיתונאים בעיר. שחקן ליגת ה-NBA לשעבר הסביר מדוע בחר דווקא עכשיו לעבור לשחק בבירת ארץ הקודש. בשבילי לשחק בירושלים זו הזדמנות של פעם בחיים, ורציתי לנצל את זה שאני עדיין בריא כדי לשחק בעיר האהובה עליי בכל העולם. מדבריו של סטדמאייר הביא כתבנו נתנאל דרשן. מזג האוויר מחר תחול עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות. אלה החדשות שעורכת חן רביב. JM in the AM. Uh, news from Israel, Galay Tzal here at uh, JM in the AM on a Monday morning. It's the uh, nine days format here at JM in the AM. I thank you all for tuning in. I, um, I want to thank those who comment on the app. It's always, it, it's even more fun when we get comments from around the world. And listen, listener Khani 
has posted on the app that she is not missing her morning jam in the a.m. on her visit to Sao Paulo, Brazil. So thank you, and thank you to everybody who vacations and travels the world during the summer and still takes us along. I think Sao Paulo is, what, one hour ahead of us, if I'm not mistaken? So really easy to tune into jam in the a.m. and feel like it's, uh, it's happening right where you are. Um, so thank you very much. Anybody wants to comment on the app, the NSN app for Android and iPhone is available to you. Install it and comment on the home screen, and we appreciate that very, very much. Certainly do. Uh, 73 degrees, partly cloudy, a high temperature of 88 on this Monday. Uh, if you missed any of our uh, calendaric conversation with Rabbi David Heber, you can go to the archives at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Uh, the conversation took place Friday in the 7 o'clock hour. And he did analyze for us why it took so long for the diaspora to catch up with Israel in regard to the uh, Parshios, in regard to the Torah portion, and the reading the same one that's being read in Israel. And a whole bunch of other material uh, applicable to this month of Av, 5776. If you want to hear all that, it's in the archive section of jmam.org with my David Heber, and I thank him for joining us. Right, Beryl Wine is um, in the midst of a lecture entitled Pleasantness from the series entitled Jewish Values. Rabbi Wine's lectures at 1-800-499-WEIN or RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. Coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, at 8 o'clock we'll have my father's... Um, Shloshim tribute to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which I believe is still one of the most amazing spoken word pieces we've ever presented here. And um, that'll be happening at 8 o'clock this morning, 22 years and one day after it was delivered. We try to do it on the 3rd of Av, which is the day it was delivered, but of course that was yesterday, that was Sunday. Uh, Rabbi Barawan, and the topic of pleasantness continues here at JM in the AM. We have another example how the Torah itself and its wording is careful about Rachel Darche Noam. You have to pay attention to the words of the Torah. <clears throat> Yosef HaTzadik goes to look for his brothers. Can't find them. He meets a man in the street, in the field. And he says to them, to him, uh, did you see my brothers, you know, ten guys in black hats walking around, did you see them? you have any doubt that the Shvotim wore the... You know. So the man answers him, Cain, yeah, I know, that, I know what you're talking about. Shomati, I heard them say, Nelcho dosoina, we're going to Dosan. So the Gomorrah Darshans, the Medrash Darshans on the word, Nelcho dosoina, that from the word nochel, a conspiracy, nochledas, they already conspired to make a law to justify the fact that they were going to kidnap and sell Yosef. And that that idea is what the Torah is telling us when it says, because who cares what, where they went, right? I mean, it's not germane to the story. The Mephorshim say, Rashi is the one that says it here on the Posik. Nichlei dosos. Avokolze rak beremes. The Torah didn't say that. The Torah said simply what? Neilcho dosoino. We're going to doso. We take the words neilcho dosoino and we read into it the fact that they made this conspiracy. 
Why didn't the Torah say it? Because if the Torah would have said it, the whole story would be much clearer. And you wouldn't ask, why did the Torah write where they went? Who cares where they went? So he says, Mishum Jochel Darche Noem. The Chol Zerak Beremes. We don't want to say with a full mouth. It's not nice that the Torah should write with a full mouth what the brothers were going to do. And therefore the Torah left it over only hidden in the words. So that if you want to, you can read the Parsha simply, quickly. They went to Dosan. Fine. But if you really want to understand it, it means more than that. It means they conspired to destroy him. But the Torah won't say it openly. Rashi says the same thing in the beginning of Chumash Dvarim. In the beginning of Chumash Dvarim, so it says, Elad Dvarim Asher Diber Moshe, Shalakim Mosso, and then it lists all the places that the Jewish people went. Chatseros Vidizahov, etc. So Rashi says, Lefishain Divrei Tochochos. Moshe is going to tell them off now, right? Moshe is again, you know, the last speech, so he's going to tell the members really what he thinks. So he's going to tell, he's going to give them tochocha. He's going to give them a hard time now. And therefore he names every place where the Jewish people sinned in the desert. Lefichoch sosa mesadvorim. But it doesn't say that. It's just, uh, it just names places, right? So if you learn it simply, you know, you just pass it by. So he's just telling you, Ben Tofel, Dizohov, Chatseros, all of these different places, oases in the desert. Not more than that. So Rashi says, he's Kiron Baremes. He only alluded to it. Nekvodon Shel Yisrael. Because he didn't want to insult the Jewish people. And therefore he only alluded to it. Those that get it, they'll get it. And those that don't get it, leave them alone. Because the Torah is not going to say it with a full mouth. The Torah doesn't criticize in that fashion. And so that even in the words of the Torah, the Torah itself is bound by this value of the fact that it has to do it in a pleasant way. I knew a Jew in Chicago that was in the kolel in Eishishok when the Chafetz Chaim ran the kolel. So he told me once that uh, he missed uh, one or two sdorim to learn. Whatever happened, he didn't show up. So the Chafetz Chaim called him in to... Uh, you know, to call him on the carpet. So he said the Chafetz Chaim turned around. He didn't look at him. He turned around. He talked to the wall, literally to the wall. And he said, I don't know. You know, some people don't come to the Seder. I don't know. How can it be that some people shouldn't come to the Seder? They shouldn't come to learn when they should come to learn. I, I don't know how such a thing happens. And he's, and he's got his back to him the whole time. He's not talking to him. And he says... Uh, must be that there was a good reason. Because it couldn't be that people shouldn't come to the Seder when they're supposed to come to the Seder. So there must have been a very good reason. So I'm sure that the person, uh, once the reason is settled, will come to the Seder whenever he has to come. That was the speech.
That's beremis. To be able to tell somebody something without telling it to them. Because that's drocheo darchenoa. A famous story with the Chofetz Chaim that, uh, that I heard from the Ponevizhirov, that the Ponevizhirov said that he saw it, that the Chofetz Chaim went to collect money uh, for the yeshiva, and a person came and gave him a large donation and stuck out his hand to him, but the person was not a, was not a Shomer Shabbos. At a time when most Jews were. It was not a Sabbath observer. The Chofetz Chaim took his hand and he looked at him and he said, He said, such a good hand should burn in hell? How could that be? So he didn't give him any musr on being a a Shomer Shabbos. And the the Bishponavishorov told me the man became a Shomer Shabbos immediately. He just terrorized him. So that's Drocheo Darchinoa. It says in the Torah, Vayikru Elakim Laor Yom, Velachoshech Koraloila. The Rabboni Shalom called light day, Velachoshech Koraloila. Doesn't say God called darkness night. By Or it says the name of Hashem, Vayikru Elakim Laor Yom, Lachoshech. It doesn't say Elokim. It doesn't say anybody. Koraloila was called night. Because night people are afraid of. It's dark. We don't want to put God's name there. So the Torah only said, By Or it says, We have a halacha that women are not mitzuva alpiri of arivia. Women are not commanded to have children. Well, if men are commanded to have children, and women are not commanded, how does it happen? How then? What's the logic in the halacha? All the mafarshim say that God placed the maternal instinct within women, and women want children and families, etc., etc. That still begs the question. So the mafarshim say because. Childbirth is a painful experience, a greatly painful experience. The Torah cannot command somebody to go through painful experiences. So the Torah said it's not a mitzvah. Aye, it happens, etc. Good, fine. That's the way the world is going to work. Excellent. But to say that's a mitzvah, I told you to do it, and then to suffer that pain, that's not Jochel Darchinoam. The Torah wouldn't do it. The Rajbam above Basra says on uh, the Rajbam is Rashi's grandson. So uh, in the laws of inheritance in the Torah, in the Parsha of the daughters of Tzlovchad, so in the laws of inheritance, the laws are that if a man has a son, then the son inherits him. If a man has no sons, then the daughters inherit. If a man has no sons or daughters, so then... The father of the man inherits. It goes up. It's always in a vertical line. But if you look in the Chumash, it doesn't say that. In the Chumash, it says that the brothers inherit, not the father. So then how do we reconcile the fact that the halacha is that it's the father who inherits, and the uh, the Chumash says the brothers that inherit. 
So the Rajbam says, it's drachea darche noam, that a father, should God forbid, inherit a son, is not pleasant. And therefore the Torah didn't want to write it. The Torah left it for Torah Shabal Pet, they'll straighten it out. They'll, the halacha will come out straight. But that we should say such a thing, it's not drachea darche noam. And the Torah therefore didn't want to say it. So you see that drachea darche noam governs the Torah itself. The Torah is not unpleasant. Tell you one last point also that the Gemara in Yevomas, the Gemara in Yevomas discusses a man that had two wives and they died, he died without children and one of the wives has to have Yibum or Chlitza and they, what happened with the other? And the other wife went off and got married. And so it's a machogas beishamai and beisila whether what the other wife needed that she need anything or not. So beishamai says that she also needed chalitza. She had to have the uh, the uh, ceremony of chalitza in order to marry. So the Gemara says, but she already married. So the Gemara says, but if she gets chalitza now after she's married, her husband will feel very uncomfortable with her. Because he'll think that they were not legitimately married before. So the Gemara says, who cares? What I care if the husband feels uncomfortable or not? So the Gemara says, what are you talking about? Well, you can't say that we're going to put them in an uncomfortable situation. The Torah is pleasantness. The Torah is that the Gemara in Sukkah says, you're not allowed to have a lulav that has jagged edges at the side, because you may cut yourself. The Torah says. The Torah is pleasant. The Torah would never tell you to take a lulav that can cut you. So we see from all of this that the only way uh, that uh, a Jew can reach uh, what he should be is by applying in every facet of one's behavior in life. And therefore we say you have to do mitzvahs pleasantly, you have to treat people pleasantly, you have to treat yourself pleasantly. And the Gemara says that the whole idea of obscenities and of evil speech, etc., is because it's not darchinam, it's not pleasant. Nobody likes to hear it. And therefore this is one of the overriding values that uh, sets us on the path that the Torah wanted us to achieve and makes us v'yisem kadoshim kikodosh oni allows us to at least aspire to be a holy people and to emulate our Creator who is also, so to speak, bound by this concept and value of pleasantness. This can... J.M. in the A.M. Thanks, Rabbi Beryl Wine. His lectures are amazing, comprehensive, and uh, filled with unbelievable lessons. Uh, this is a pleasantness lecture about pleasantness from his Jewish Values series. We're going to continue with the one on peace in just a few minutes here at JMNAM. Eight o'clock, we'll go to my father's uh, Shloshim presentation regarding the um, Lubavitcher Rebbe, delivered uh, back in 1994 on the Shloshim of the Rebbe's passing. Uh, it's become an annual tradition for us here at JM in the AM. 20 minutes after 7 o'clock with 73 degrees, 60% humidity, winds are north at 2 miles an hour, partly cloudy and a high temperature of 88, then tonight mostly clear, low of 70. Tomorrow, sunshine and a high temperature of 87 degrees. 
Yerushalayim right now at 82, a lot at 93. Up in Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Misora, uh, they are at uh, 53 degrees going up to 79. And uh, here in Jersey City, 73 degrees as we continue on a Monday morning broadcast. We're in our nine days format. Don't forget to like the uh, Facebook update page and simply entitled Nahum Siegel Network. Make sure to like the page so you're up to date on all of our updates regarding programming, etc. Uh, you'll want to make sure to do that. And I thank those of you who are commenting on the app. Getting a lot of good comments and uh, nice things being said uh, all through the weekend and today regarding our programming. Rabbi Beryl Wine, his uh, lecture on the topic of peace from the Jewish Values series is next at JM in the AM. Tonight's lecture concerns itself with Shalom, which uh, is one of the universal values of Judaism. And as we saw with Jorcheo uh, Darchinoam, with pleasantness, uh, when we're speaking about universal values, it cuts across the whole spectrum of Jewish life, it influences halacha. And it is also meant naturally to influence human behavior, to set the standard, the bar for what a Jew is supposed to be. Now the word shalom as we understand it usually is translated in English as peace. But to a certain extent that's a minimal translation of the word. The word shalom is from the word shalem, which means to be whole. It really means more harmony than it means peace. Our understanding of peace is uh, pretty much an absence of uh, Katyusha rockets. But uh, the idea of shalom that is represented in the Torah and represented in Chazal is far deeper than that. It's an idea of harmony, of an inner harmony, of a person that's at peace, so to speak, with oneself. It's like harmony in a uh, symphony orchestra or in a musical piece. So you have many different instruments and many different sounds. And sometimes the sounds almost clash. And yet there's a harmony to it that gives it a beauty and gives it a, a sense of spiritual uplift. Well, that's the type of shalom that the Torah describes here. It's a harmony, a harmony within oneself, because we are all made up of different pieces, and somehow that has to have a harmonious whole. And it's a harmony in a family where uh, different personalities exist. Uh, and unfortunately, a, uh, I had a friend who unfortunately lived all of his life being a bachelor. And always said he couldn't see himself devoting the rest of his life to a stranger. Which is one way of looking at it. But uh, harmony in a family is to be able to live, so to speak, with strangers. With people who are different than you are. Have different needs, different personality, even perhaps different outlook on things. It's certainly not meant to be a conformity. And that's certainly true regarding children, where each child is a world unto himself or herself. And then we have uh, 
peace in the community, peace in the synagogue, sense of harmony. So again, you're dealing with uh, all sorts of different personalities, ideas, temperaments. And then when we raise it to the national and international level, the peace between nations, peace between faiths, peace between cultures. So then again, we're looking somehow uh, to uh, be able to live in harmony, accepting the other. And because of that, therefore, it requires an effort, more than an effort. It requires an attitude on the part of anyone that wants to truly achieve peace. So the rabbis, the, the, uh, the rabbis defined it early in the book, in the Talmud. And they took the posik in Tanakh and they said that this is the definition of peace. An evil person is incapable of ever achieving harmony. So they equated peace, harmony, with goodness with not doing evil and the Pesach says Varishoyim Kayom Nigrosh the evil people are like a sea a raging torrent the waves push up against the shore they are never uh, never stop they're never at rest and this harmonious whole is based upon the idea that a person wants to be a good person. The Chazal say a cryptic idea. Gimel Shlomo say there are three types of peace. Nohor a river, Tzipor a bird, Kedera a pot or a kettle. Rabbi Feldman, Aaron Feldman, the Rosh Yeshiva of Baltimore wrote a interesting book called The River the bird and the kettle. Since no one could figure out the title, everyone bought the book. <laughs> but the book is about these three types of peace. And each one represents this kind of harmony. Uh, there's a harmony that is uh, like a river that flows, that makes its way, uh, that carries others with it. Uh, that kind of a harmony uh, requires the ability to uh, accept within it all sorts of different material. Anyone who has seen uh, the Mississippi River uh, when it uh, emanates into the Gulf of Mexico, so it has taken the mud and the dirt and the silt of uh, the American continent from where it began up in Minnesota all the way down uh, it carries it all with it. And that's the idea of a river. A river accepts, it takes things with it. It doesn't never is interrupted in its flow. A river is also able to make new channels. Uh, it finds its way. It gets stopped up in one place. In the American Civil War, the uh, Union Army tried to dam the Mississippi in a few places in order to be able to conquer the Confederate stronghold of Vicksburg and all of their efforts failed because the Mississippi found another way to go around. Uh, a river, uh, no matter how uh, um, we try to change or stop it, 
always finds its course, always somehow is able to come on. And that's the idea of peace. The Sholom is a nohor. It's a river. The drive for the harmony within a person and the drive for peace is of such a nature that even if it's blocked, it will find another channel. Because it's a, uh, as the rabbi saw it, it's an innate, instinctive part of being human. A human being desires it. And therefore, it will flow. It will come. The idea of the bird is also the same thing. The rabbi said that a bird is able to fly above things. What does that mean? A bird, we say in English, or you have a bird's eye view. A bird's eye view means you see things from the top. You see it in perspective. 7.30 in the morning on a Monday, we're in the midst of our Iberal Wines lecture from the Jewish Values series entitled Peace. Partly cloudy, high temperature, 88, or by David Goldwasser's words, Zechonish Masar of Zebra, Yosef Alevi, and Esther Basar of Yosef Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We're going to be continuing with our series on the nine days. During this specific time of the three weeks, it seems to imply that throughout the rest of the year, we don't really have to contemplate the Galus in the Chorben Beis Hamikdash, the destruction of the Holy Temple. We know, however, that every day, in fact, we pray in our tefillos, into Yerushalayim, your city, may it be rebuilt. May our eyes behold your return to Zion. In Berchas Amazon, in the grace after meals, we say Rachem, Uvenei Yerushalayim. On Yom Tov as well, we say Mibnei Chatoenu Golinu Me'aretzenu because of our sins we've been exiled from the land. Why do we need a special time to remember the Chorban? The Dubno Magid gives a very interesting story of a wealthy person whose son rebelled against him. The father was compelled to send him away. The son was a big Balgaiva, very arrogant, and he was sure that he could manage on his own. He went into the big world, and he would try different types of work. However, the father, even though he was angry at his son, he really still loved him, and he would often inquire after his son. He heard that the son was wandering in the cities, living from hand to mouth. He hadn't met with any measure of success. But the father had really hoped that his son would one day learn his lesson and be humbled by the experience. The father waited to welcome him. However, that day did not happen. One day, there was a wealthy merchant who came from that city where the man's son was living. He came to discuss some business with his father. They discussed their business, and eventually the subject of the man's son came up. When do you intend to bring your son back home? The father answered, I'll bring him back home when he comes and asks me for forgiveness. Then I'll welcome him. The merchant said, I have a special opportunity right now. The agent of a person is like himself. I will be the agent for your son. I'm going to apologize and I'm going to express remorse for him and beg you to take him back. The father said, no way. You can't be a messenger, not on behalf of my son, not on my behalf. The merchant asked him, but why not? You would accept the word of a messenger for something else. True, said the father, but I want to see that my son is truly remorseful for what he did. 
if he would come back and tell me that he wants to begin anew and that he regrets the past, I would listen. But right now, you don't represent him. Similarly, says the Dubna Magid, every day in our tefillahs, we ask for good health, for livelihood. Incidentally, we also recall the Golos and the Chorban. We remember to tack it onto our tefillahs at the beginning or at the end. That's not enough. Therefore, our sages established the three weeks in order for us to specifically focus on the Chorban Beis Amikdosh and its effects. Then our Father in Heaven will welcome and accept our tefillahs and return to Shechina to Zion. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. There we go. J.M. and the A.M. on a Monday morning broadcast. And we will continue with our Barrel Wine and his lecture on uh, on the topic of peace from the Jewish Values series coming up. Ira Jaskell is with us uh, live via telephone. He's the, the director of the Fairleigh Dickinson University Yeshiva and Seminary, an adjunct associate professor of statistics, marketing, and sports management. Uh, we've spoken to him in the past. He has served as associate dean of the Sy Sim School of Business. Uh, he has uh, he created, you may recall, the first kosher fantasy camp that we discussed with him, and the Yankees uh, had that down in Tampa, Florida. And uh, if he's on, we're usually either discussing baseball or education. <laughs> Ira Jaskal, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nachum. Uh, a pleasure. All right, so there is a uh, yeshiva seminary program that is now associated with Fairleigh Dickinson University. Take us to the beginnings of, the, of this initiative, please. Well, um, this is something that uh, started about 15 years ago at Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, they decided to help the um, yeshiva community, and they were able to um, work out that those who were learning it in um, in different types of yeshivas would get um, transfer credit for their learning for two years and then be able to take uh, um, finish in, in approximately a year by by taking uh, ten courses uh, which would be given in local yeshiva um, shuls and um, this has been going on for a number of years um, and then the, I got involved because last year. Um, because I've been teaching uh, in the business school, and this year we've added a women's uh, program, women's division, uh, which is now the seminary division, where they also can do something similar. So I think it's an opportunity for those who uh, have been learning to be able to get a, a really a good bachelor's degree from fairly Dickinson University, but still maintain separate classes and and learn something while they can go on to um, to uh, we, we do it in business but uh, be able to go on and um, get, uh, get a profession and a career Ira Jaskal is with us so somebody who's back from a year or two in Israel can go into this program and, and have a BA in relatively a short amount of time yes uh, that's that's the purpose of it that they be able to uh, Finish quickly. That's exactly the, the purpose of it. Um, we, we, you know, if they've been learning two years or more, um, we give more trans, transfer credits than uh, other colleges. Uh, the two years, the seventy-two credits. I mean, that's really the uh, nature of it. Very flexible on the transfer credits. Now, is there uh, is there a reason why they're making a specific push now, or this is just a uh, 
an effort to you know get it more known to the community out there? It's to get it more known. I think it's something that's been uh, um, no. It's been more word of mouth. It's I think it's something that uh, it's so good that uh, we should let the uh, the Jewish community know about it and really take advantage of it. Uh, uh, the women's program, which is new, I've gotten enormous amount of uh, uh, really thanks for starting something like this uh, because it's something that really can be very, very uh, uh, well received and helpful. So it's really, it's really something that's uh, been going on, but uh, we want to let more of the community know about it. And you're, you surround the, or I should say, you uh, place these classes calendarically uh, around the Jewish calendar. So, for instance. The Benazmanim classes, where uh, more of the students tend to have more free time uh, during that time, uh, you'll offer classes at that time. Right. So that's something very, very unique. When most most uh, places are off, we Benazmanim. When let's say there are those who are uh, learning in Israel, those who are learning uh, outside of uh, New York, when they're off, we will give classes. So we'll give classes now. We're starting today, actually, for uh, of. So we're giving classes. Um, then we'll also do circus time. We'll give classes and even uh, Pesach time. Um, so we give classes when the uh, they're off from yeshiva, and that's been very, very unique. And it helps them go while they're learning, um, and they don't have the opportunity. They're away. We can do it when they're home. Very unique, and uh, it really helps them helps them get their degree uh, while they're still in yeshiva. Director of the program, Professor Ira Jaskal, with us live via telephone. Is there a, um, could you just run through one more time the types of degrees? I mean, I, I know it's BA across the board, but the specialties that uh, both the men and women can pursue? Well, right now, the one specialty we have is in uh, business. Um, we're uh, working on, I'm working on, uh, doing one uh, in health and human services for primarily the women, which would be more if they want to go into uh, uh, social work, et cetera. So that that uh, area exists in the uh, in our college, but we hope to uh, do that for the women. Um, another area that we want to I uh, want to uh, introduce is entrepreneurship. I've taught a course in that because we uh, I believe uh, starting your own business is very very important. And um, we'll see. Uh, the uh, third another area would be pre med to actually create a pre med track. There's been uh, interest in that, uh, which would be available uh, for those who want to go into medical school. So this is something that um, we look to expand uh, as we. Um, Add additional students. Uh, we're getting more interest uh, to expand the uh, different specialties. All right, I think that's also very good. Fairleigh Dickinson University continues to offer the Yeshiva and Seminary program. The big question: How do people get information about all this? Well, it's very, very good. Uh, first of all, um, they can uh, email me uh, at Jaskol J A S K O L L at uh, fdu dot edu, or they can actually call me. Uh, 917-232-2176, 917-232-2176. And, of course, we have our website, uh, which uh, from the Yeshiva program at uh, uh, fdu.edu slash yeshiva. has everything that they need to know with all the contact. fdu.edu slash yeshiva has a lot of information. It's a new updated website. explains both the yeshiva and seminary program, both of them. Um, one, one, one nice thing, we're going to be adding a location in Psyk, which is brand new. So we're going to do it in Shul. All our classes are also in Shuls, um, Teenage Jewish Center, B'nai Shurin, and we have a new 
Shul in Tepsek as well. Um, so we and we're also looking to uh, add a location in Lakewood. We're working on that. So we're looking again in New Jersey. We're looking to uh, make it available to the um, the Jewish community, the from Orthodox community uh, in New Jersey, but easily accessible to the New York community, where I've had students from Brooklyn, five towns. Um, uh, come, of course, Manhattan, come to us uh, to the classes because it's something unique uh, because of the flexibility of the program. All right, fdu.edu slash yeshiva has information. You could also dial 917-232-2176, 917-232-2176. Dean Ira Jaskal, thanks so much for joining us and the continued success with the program. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, let me add one thing. Sure. We do give a course in sports management, sports marketing. You know, that's my, uh, that's my uh, special thing. Uh, nothing else about that. So we also give that course. Uh, and it's something that uh, I will say that we've been on. Uh, tri- I take my classes to uh, trips as well. So that's still built into that. So uh, it's something that's uh, very, very important for the students as well to really expose them to a lot of interesting things. But yeah. Thank you, Malcolm, that for must, having me on. That must be fun and very interesting. Thank you for joining us. Monday morning broadcast, more coming up at JM in the AM. We'll continue with Harry Beryl Wine, his lecture on the topic of peace from the Jewish Values series. Harry Wine's uh, lectures at one 800 499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN, or RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. Gimbal Shlomo say there are three types of peace. Nohor, a river, Sipor, a bird, Kadeira, a pot, or a kettle. Rabbi Feldman, Aaron Feldman, the Rosh Yeshiva of Baltimore, wrote an uh, interesting book called The River, the Bird, and the Kettle. Since no one could figure out the title, everyone bought the book. (laughs) But the book is about these three types of peace. And each one represents this kind of harmony. Uh, There's a harmony that is uh, like a river that flows, that makes its way, uh, that carries others with it. Uh, That kind of a harmony uh, requires the ability to uh, accept within it all sorts of different material. Anyone who has seen uh, the Mississippi River uh, when it uh, emanates into the Gulf of Mexico, so it has taken the mud and the dirt and the silt of uh, the American continent from where it began up in Minnesota all the way down Uh, it carries it all with it and that's the idea of a river a river accepts it takes things with it it doesn't never is interrupted in its flow a river is also able to make new channels Uh, it finds its way it gets stopped up in one place in the American Civil War the uh, Union Army tried to dam the Mississippi in a few places in order to be able to conquer the Confederate stronghold of Vicksburg and all of their efforts failed because the Mississippi found another way to go around. Uh, A river, uh, no matter how uh, um, we try to change or stop it, always finds its course, always somehow is able to come on. And that's the idea of peace. Sholom is a nohor. It's a river. The drive for the harmony within a person and the drive for peace is of such a nature 
that even if it's blocked, it will find another channel. Because it's a, uh, as the rabbi saw it, it's an innate, instinctive part of being human. The human being desires it. And therefore, it will flow. It will come. The idea of the bird is also the same thing. The rabbi said that a bird is able to fly above things. What does that mean? A bird, we say in English, or you have a bird's eye view. A bird's eye view means you see things from the top. You see it in perspective. Most of the time, in anger or in war or in other uh, events that are not pleasant and are not peaceful, is because things are seen in their immediate state. They're seen almost in a two-dimensional state. But if they would be seen from above, if they would be seen with a historical perspective, if they'd be seen, so to speak, the way God sees it from heaven, so then peace is much easier to obtain. We're able to uh, deal with it in a sense uh, that we see a broader picture, a deeper perspective. If you see things superficially, not the way a bird, but the way we see it from ground level, so then uh, you miss much uh, all of the uh, sporting events that appear on television today are all taken from an upper level, right? Simply because of the fact that otherwise you miss what's going on. So that was the bird. And the pot, now the pot has many interpretations. But the one that uh, strikes home to me is the fact that uh, you need a pot in order to cook things. You can have uh, all the meat and potatoes and carrots and everything in the world, but if you have no pot to put it in, so then uh, it's very, very difficult to prepare the food. But a pot is the container. Peace, harmony is seen as a container. And we'll see that the rabbis say, Lo keli brocho ela God never found anything that could contain all the blessings. I'll give somebody all the blessings of the world. Health and wealth, family, success, popularity, good looks. But without peace, the person is ruined. Nothing brings satisfaction. And that's why you see many times that some of the most successful people in the world are some of the most unsuccessful people in the world. They're simply, they're not at peace. They have no sense of harmony, no sense of purpose. So, Shalom was seen as a pot. Uh, Chazal say the same idea about Yerash Shomayim. It says, Yerash Shomayim hi otsoro. That a person that has fear of heaven, so he has the treasure, he has the bag. I always use the example, I remember the first time I came to Israel... So uh, when I came to Israel almost 40 years ago, uh, none of the grocery stores gave you a bag to take your purchases home. And I come from the United States where, you know, they not only they give you a bag, they have somebody there to bag it for you, and they t- take it out to the car for you. And, yes, sir. Come back again, sir. So I'm, you know, I'm on Alice in Wonderland here. And so I don't know, I bought 10 items, 12 items, and it's lying on the counter. And I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me. 
And I say to him, He says, You got to bring your own bags. We don't give bags here. So you can imagine, I put the sour cream in my pocket, and you know, and, and the milk in my shirt pocket. You know, I came on, you can imagine what it looked like at the end. But that's the interpretation, right? You can have all the blessings, but you don't have a bag to take it home in. If you don't have a container for it, uh, so then uh, you're pretty much lost. So the Mishnah says, Rabboni Shalom, look to give us a bag. Look to give us uh, something that we could take everything with us with. The only thing that he found was peace, was harmony. That a person should have that sense of, uh, of well-being that Shalom brings. And that's why one of the names of God, so to speak, in Hebrew is Shalom. One of the questions is if you have a doormat. And on it it says Shalom. So it's not necessarily correct to have the doormat. Because then people step on it, hopefully. And uh, they're stepping on the name of God. So God put His name, so to speak, in this concept of Shalom. That's how important it is. So when we say Shalom, we say harmony, we're saying God. Because God is the ultimate harmony, the ultimate uh, reconciler of all things. We know, uh, we say it in our prayers often, uh, that the scholars of Israel bring about a great deal of peace. Well, uh, without being too heretical, many times that's not easy to see. Because many times you see that between the Talmudic Chachomim themselves, uh, there are vast differences of opinion, sometimes even uh, stronger than differences of opinion. Where's the Marbim Shalom Bolon? So, uh, my father in law, blessed memory, uh, always used to say on this that uh, this is not a statement. It's a challenge. The task of a Talmud Chochem, the task of a knowledgeable Jew, is whether he increases peace in the world or not. Whether or not uh, within himself, within his family, within his community, within his synagogue, are things better because of him? Are they more peaceful? Do people get along better? Is there a quieter atmosphere? Or is it all the time? So Talmidei Chachomim Marbim Sholom Ba'olam is the challenge. And it's an especially important challenge to a Talmud Chacham because of the fact that he has the equipment, he has the knowledge of Torah uh, that is supposed to bring this about. And therefore the rabbis say in the, uh, the Gemara, uh, <clears throat> basufa, commenting on those three words that are uh, part of the song that appears in Chumash Bamidbar. So it says that Talmud Chachomim argue with each other. The Talmud agrees that they should argue with each other because that's how we come to decisions. That's how we air all the opinions. That's how we gain our knowledge. It's the give and take. 
You look through the Talmud, the Talmud is uh, 75-80% arguments, discussions, disagreements. But the end is as void basufa. The Gemara says they don't leave the Beis HaMedrish from the word till they become lovers of each other. So it's the ability to hear different opinions and to respect and even love the person that has it, even if you feel that his opinion is incorrect. And that's a level of challenge that is not easily met. I remember uh, uh, Rabbi Christ were the blessed memory. So in the yeshiva, when he would say to Shear, once in a while he would make a statement and someone would argue with the statement and then they'd argue back and forth at the top of their lungs. And then he would stop in the middle and he would say, listen, he said, you may be right, but I have to teach today, so leave me alone. I'll talk to you afterwards. And that like released all the tension. Uh, because of the fact that you can have two opinions and still love each other if you're able to rise above it if you're able to be that kind of a person but in the viciousness of uh, personality uh, especially in the political and power reigns so then all of that gets lost and the society suffers thereby well Chazal uh, <coughs> said that it's not enough uh, we have the example who is the champion peacemaker in the world the, uh, the role model the paradigm of a peacemaker that we learn what peace means so that's Aaron HaKohen having the Talmud of Aaron Hillel said always be a student of Aaron Oev Shalom, Aaron loved peace Rodev Shalom he pursued peace he loved people and he brought them close to Torah now Aaron HaKohen built the eagle Aaron HaKohen is uh, the contributing factor to the fact that the Jews constructed the golden calf the rabbis saw in that a warning like all measures in the Torah like all characteristics in the Torah there's a balance here to go to extremes is dangerous Aaron doesn't want to fight with the Jewish people they want to build an eagle so he's a nice guy let's build an eagle bring me bring me your jewelry uh, take the golden earrings and bring them here and we'll make an eagle and you know and everybody will be happy Moshe, who is his brother, who is a far sterner material, Moshe comes down, he grinds the eagle into dust, he makes them drink it, he kills 3,000 Jews, he burns it all down. Moshe saved the Jewish people. Aaron uh, pays a heavy penalty in his own personal life. All of his life he bears that burden. Yet, Aaron remains the symbol of peace. Because again, in order to achieve peace, you need those characteristics of Aaron. 
but you also need Moshe to balance that. Because in every situation, not in every situation uh, does that fit, right? Chazal say, We are not pacifists at all causes, you know, in all circumstances. That's suicidal. But what we do learn from Aaron is, Oev Shalom, to love peace, even if I don't have it yet. And Bake Shalom Vrod Fail, it says in the Posik. You have to search for it and you have to actively pursue it. It is not a passive matter. It is something that has to be actively pursued. And therefore, Chazal say, on Bake Shalom Vrod Fail, Bakshayu Bimkomcha Vrod Fail Bamokamacher. Try and find it in your place. And if you can't find it, then pursue it somewhere else. The Rambam says regarding that, that if a person lives in a community that's very contentious, that's full of divisions, full of quarrels, you should move. The Rambam generally is in favor of moving. He says if you're in a place where they don't let you observe the Torah, move. The Rambam is... uh, the Rambam's solution to the problems that beset us is to find ourselves a different environment. Rabbi Beryl Wine on the topic of peace from the Jewish Values uh, series, uh, 1-800-499-WEIN for information, 1-800-499-WEIN. You can go to uh, RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com for information about uh, all of Rabbi Wine's lectures. Monday morning here at JMNAM, as I pointed out, um, on the 3rd of Av, which was uh, 22 years ago yesterday, my father delivered a Shloshim Hesped at the invitation of uh, Rabbi Marcus and the congregation of Asachim and A. Jacob and David in West Orange and uh, of Rabbi Herson and the Rabbinical College of America. Um... He was asked to speak about the Lubavitcher Rebbe on the Shloshim observance of the uh, Rebbe's passing on the 3rd of Av back uh, 22 years ago. I think it is one of the most remarkable pieces of uh, an audio biography uh, through vignettes of, um, of a great Jewish leader. And we like to play it at least once a year during our nine days format, usually on the 3rd of Av, this year on the 4th of Av. And that's coming up next in America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sony and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Rabbi Zev Siegel of Blessed Memory speaking 22 years ago about the passing of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. This coming uh, Shabbos, we shall read in the Torah the summation of Moshe Rabbeinu. And among the things that Moshe Rabbeinu says is, Echo Eso Levadi Tochachem Masachem Berifchem. Moshe Rabbeinu confesses that he doesn't know how he is able to carry the burden of leadership 
all by himself. And then he continues, so he decided there should be a leadership assisting him. And he says the qualifications of leadership should be the following, and this is what the Torah tells us. Get yourselves men, chachomim, wise men, unevonim, understanding men, v'yiduim leshivtechem v'asimem beroshechem. Now you can't help but associate this statement of Moshe Rabbeinu where he designates the qualifications that there is a very strong relationship to Chabad. He says, Chachomim, Chochbo, Nevonim, Bino, the Yiduim Das, and this is Chabad. The leadership of Klal Yisroel was given to the Rebbe, and he fulfilled that mission to the maximum that can be fulfilled. He had Klal Yisrael, the entire people of Israel, was his concern, and a deep concern. Every corner in the world, no matter how forsaken it was, and no matter how few Jews were there, he had them on his mind, in his heart and his soul. If there was a man qualified to reconstruct Jewish life after the great Hurban, after the tragic Holocaust that befell our people, he was one man who did it. He reconstructed Jewish life in a very commendable way. And at the same time, he made Jews feel, without any exception, whoever they may have been, that they are a part of this reconstruction. He worried about every Jew wherever he was. And he had a certain devotion and dedication to Klal Yisroel. I used to sit and I had the great privilege and I don't pretend that I understood the Rebbe. 
I don't pretend that I can evaluate his scholarship or his spiritual greatness. But at the same time, in my own way, I was privileged to spend a great deal of time. It is no secret. Many of you know it. I used to come in 12 o'clock midnight and walk out not earlier than 3.30 in the morning and sometimes even later. And after a while when we were sitting, the bell used to ring. And I tried to get up because I knew there were people waiting there, people who were older than me. And as I was trying to get up, the Rebbe said in a tone almost of chastising me, he says, what you, we are talking about the Klal. Wir reden wegen Klalsachen. And there was no disturbance when he was engaged in worrying about Claudius Roy. And I can go on and on about his great concerns. Nothing else to point out except the Jewish community in the former Soviet Union. Where three generations of Jews were alienated from everything that had to do with Judaism. And the only underground movement that succeeded in existence during the Bolshevik regime was the Lubavitch movement. And I know for a fact, I can stand here for hours and testify how this underground movement functioned with real devotion and dedication to everything that had to do with Jews and Judaism. And the Rebbe was the leader. No matter how many thousands of miles he was away, they were waiting with a great deal of thirst to hear something from 770. I was in Riga, and Professor Branover was there. And you probably heard of Professor Bronover. Beside being a devoted Hasid, a great scientist, universally recognized, a real Jewish leader, respect from all walks of life in the state of Israel, under every government, and Professor Branover told us the following. When Gorbachev came to power, 
the rabbis, so people were very scared at the time. And the rabbi sent a message to the Jewish community in Russia, and he told them, don't worry, things will get better. And naturally, they accepted the rabbi's word. And it calmed them down a little bit. But then Branover says when Gorbachev was in Israel recently, and he spent quite some time with him, so he asked Gorbachev, did you really, when you came to power, did you really think that you are going to change from your predecessors? And Gorbachev said, no, not at all. In fact, my idea was to tighten a little stronger than my predecessors. Gorbachev didn't know where he's heading to, but the rabbi had enough insight to predict that things will improve. And I can testify it from another angle. You remember when the El Al plane was hijacked to Algiers? And the rumor was that Ariel Sharon was to be on this plane and he was told by the rabbi that he should not travel with that plane. That was the rumor. When I met next with the rabbi, so a little time passed, and I was curious, and I said to him, I hear rumors that you stopped Sharon from traveling down that El Al plane that was hijacked to Algeria. And the rabbi says the following, he made sure that he did not accept when I said he stopped the plane. And he said, you know, Sharon came to say goodbye to me before he went to Israel. And I said to him, don't go. And Sharon didn't go. Says it's true. So naturally, obviously, I ask the next question. If you knew that the plane will be hijacked, why only save Sharon? You could have saved everyone else on that plane. And the rabbi gave me a look like I interpreted that it was not the wisest question that I have asked him. And he says to me the following, he, says, and he said it in Yiddish, do you think that I saw a plane being hijacked? He came to say goodbye, and all I did was say, don't go.
For me, this was testimony of a certain insight that very rare human beings possess that insight. And this is what Branover meant. And this insight was used to reconstruct Jewish life in the world again. A great deal was said about the Rebbe's involvement in Eretz Yisrael. I knew many, many leaders in Jewish life. Zionists and non-Zionists. I had the privilege to be the youngest delegate. Believe it or not, I was young once. The youngest delegate to the last Zionist Congress before the establishment of the Jewish state in Basel. And I sat on very important committees. And I saw leaders as well in the Torah world as well. But every one of them had a certain area of knowledge and insight. One may have been politically, diplomatically well-versed. Or one may have been involved in the economics. Or one may have been involved in science. Or in military affairs. But the rabbi had them all. And I can again say it from personal experience. The hours that I listened and discussed of every conceivable phase in the life of Eretz Israel. Not only education, not only the practice of Torah, But every conceivable phase of life in Eretz Israel. And I don't have to tell you his concern about the Shlemus of Eretz Israel. That was on his agenda. And in the last few years, he had something to worry about, as we see it now. We talk about outreach a great deal. There are many, many who are occupied with outreach, and God forbid for me to minimize it. I know what it is. I was a little involved with it. But the outreach of Lubavitch is second to none. The devotion and dedication and the Mesiras Nefesh of the Shlichim in all parts of the world. 
I was sitting a short three weeks ago, a Friday night, who is now acting as the chief rabbi of Latvia. And you know the days are very long now in that part of the world. And I heard the Friday night the devotion, the discipline. Nothing was difficult. And if there is Jewish life today in Riga, it is this chief rabbi who could have stayed in Kfar Chabad with his family. Instead, he is suffering in Riga. Or a young man, many of you may know Glossman, a wife, a young wife with three infants, doing youth work in every possible way. He's running now a summer camp. And I don't have to tell you, I, I had occasion to, a couple of years ago when I spoke for a group who was involved with Lubavitch, to tell you about someone who was very, very active here, Rebleib Raskin, who is in Casablanca for many, many years. And I saw him there in 68, also with infants. And when I went down from his apartment about one o'clock at night on a Friday night, and I said to him, excuse me for keeping you so late, so he says, what do you mean, excuse me? First of all, you are the first one who is here, who was there. There in Morocco in those days, there meant Israel. That's number one. So we heard what's doing. And secondly, he says, let my children know that there is a, there is a Jew in the world who speaks Yiddish to. I can tell you many stories, but my time is limited. I can tell you what the Rebbe did in South Africa when I was there in the 70s, when the Jewish community was in a turmoil, and the Rebbe calmed them down, and the Shlichim there did their job. If there is a Seder in Himalaya, who does it? If a shochet was needed in Romania, who supplied it? If a mohel was needed in any part of the world, they were there, and they are still there. Yes, indeed, outreach to its maximum all part of a reconstruction of Jewish life. 
tremendous amount of creativity. You remember when the rabbi started with the Mifzat feeling in the Six-Day War? And feeling was not the most popular thing on the American scene. It was popular maybe on the day of Bar Mitzvah or a month before the Bar Mitzvah. But I have noticed what film did. When you come to the Kotel, to the Western Wall, a religious Jew has no problem. Either he dams Minche or Mayriv or Shachris, and if he comes in another part of the day, he says, stealing, he reads the Psalms. But what does a non-religious Jew do at the Kotel? What does he do? Another piece of paper on the wall. But Tefillin became synonymous with the Kotel of the non-committed Jew. He comes to the Kotel, he knows that this is the time to put on film and say Shema Yisrael. Or all the other projects, the lighting of candles, another criteria creativity. The Rebbe was the first one on the American Jewish scene who did not permit Jews to run away from Jewish neighborhoods. But as it was said at the same time, the Rebbe never forgot the individual. And I want to share with you one of the experiences I had, which I must confess to you marked the rest of my life, particularly in the last few years. It was a great help to me. On one of my travels, and until this day I don't know how the rabbi discovered that I'm going somewhere, I was called and the rabbi asked me to do something in that particular country. I came back, so I gave him a report, and again with lack of wisdom, I say to him, I conversed in Yiddish, I said, the Rebbe soll wissen, as is nicht gewenk in Gringesach. Sie ist angekommen sehr schwer. I said, the Rebbe should know that this was not easy, an easy task for me. It was very difficult. And again, the Rebbe looks at me and makes me aware how uh, unwise I am, to put it mildly. And he says to me, Alav Segal, 
sind, wenn Otir gemacht hat Kontrakt mit Nuribenische Leilom für ein Leben. Der Rebbe sagt zu mir, since when did you make a contract with the Almighty for an easy life? And as I said, among many, many things, this has become a guide in my own life. Yes, indeed, my friends, there is a great deal to be said, and a great deal will be said. Because in all this, there is immortality. The Rebbe was not only the Manig Hador, he will be the Manig Hadoros. Many, many generations will benefit from what the Rebbe was for the people of Israel. And I know I'm as sure as I can be that right now as he stands before the Kisei HaKovot he is doing everything he possibly can to bring about our Geulo Shleimo B'Mehero Amen Back in 1994, the Shloshim observance on the 3rd of Av of um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe took place at uh, a congregation of Asachim and A. Jacob and David in West Orange, New Jersey, and um, sponsored by the Rabbinical College of America. And the 22 years and one day ago, that was my father's review in uh, just a few short minutes, or at least what seems like a few short minutes, of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's life. Uh, and an incredible presentation that captured so much of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's essence and influence. 27 minutes after 8 o'clock, Monday morning, it's JM in the AM, our nine days format in full swing, or Ibero Wines lectures on um, a variety of topics. Today we're uh, playing for you his lectures on uh, Jewish values are available at 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN. You can also go to the web at RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. Right now, Rabbi Wine's uh, in the midst of a lecture about peace from the Jewish Values series. This is the lecture on the topic of peace at JM in the AM. despairs of one person changing the environment. So you're also, you're in a place that's querulous, that everybody is fighting, everybody, move, leave. That's Bakay Sholom Verot Feu. Pursue it somewhere else. Because a person lives in a contentious environment that has an effect upon that person. In the Posig we read, Sholom Vemes Nivgoshu. Truth and peace have met. Now we all know that truth and peace are antagonistic one to another. 
Right? Somebody asks you, how do you like my new suit? It's terrible. Looks awful. Peace will not exist between us. And that's on a minor issue. On major issues, it certainly is. So which should trump? Which should win? Whether we should have, it's better to have peace or better to have absolute truth. In the history of the Jewish people, there have been groups that have wavered, sometimes in favor of truth and sometimes in favor of peace. Uh, the great Kotzke Rebbe, and Menachem Mendel Morgenstern, uh, so he was a great devotee of truth. So he would get up Rosh Hashanah before the sounding of the shofar and deliver his Rosh Hashanah sermon, which went something like this Ganovim, Rotschim, Menoachim, thieves, murderers, immoral people. According to, to, to legend, people jumped out of the window of the base medrash. It was a one-story building. They jumped out of the window of the base medrash because they couldn't take it. Uh, well, he didn't have to have his contract renewed, so <laughs> he could uh, he could afford to say. But that's the truth, right? Ruben Begezel. Most people are caught with money that's not theirs. So that's Emmas. Emmas burns. Shalom. Shalom is the ability to overlook Emmas. How do you like my suit? Oh, that's a very nice suit. Wear it in good health. Hey, you look very good in purple. We're talking to a man. So, uh, who wins? So the Gemara says uh, two remarkable things. The Gemara says, you see, that the Torah itself voted for peace over truth in two instances. It says, the Torah, Kosav Divrei Badoi, the Torah wrote words that are not true in order to preserve, to show you that peace should be preserved at the expense of truth. First incident, incident is Abraham and Sarah. Uh, God comes to Sarah and he tells her, you know, you're going to have a child. Sarah is 90 years old. So she laughs. And she says to herself, After I have become so withered, all of a sudden I will become refreshed. I'll become young again. And even if it happens to me, he's an old man. He, he, what good does it do to... He's, he's old. He's too old to have father or child. When the Lord repeats the conversation to Abraham, God says, Why did Sora laugh? Why did she doubt? And she said that she wouldn't be able to have a child. God did not tell him the second part of the sentence. He did not tell him. And she said, you're an old man. Which 
human beings would love to say to the person. God didn't say that. He omits it. Why? Because he knew that Avram would feel badly and he would then have a complaint to Sarah and she'd have a complaint back to him and then go to La Shalom. Great is the peace in the house. The second incident is by Yosef. The brothers, after their father Yaakov died, the brothers came to Yosef and they said, Your father, before he died, told us to tell you, you should be nice to us. Don't take revenge for what we did to you. He never said that, Yaakov. Either because of any interpretation, either because he was unaware of the story, or if he was aware of the story, he thought that, that it was over. So the Torah wrote that. Now the Torah doesn't write things that are not true, even if they're quoting somebody. Every word in the Torah is emes, is true. So why did the Torah write an untruth? Why did it write something that is not true? Because of Sholem. Because then the brothers, Yosef saw how deeply the brothers were still affected by the matter. Therefore, uh, he uh, reconciled himself fully to them. He wept and he said, would I do anything to you? So the Torah itself, in these two instances, went out of its way to show you that the value of peace, of harmony, is sometimes greater than the value of truth. And that therefore the Talmud says that it's possible that the Torah allows us to tell less than the truth. Not just a white lie, but a full lie in order to preserve truth. In order to preserve peace, rather. In the only instance where we find that the Torah departs from its strict rule that a person should be truthful. A person's word means something. So, we see the overriding value of what it is to retain a peaceful environment both in the home and in the community. Chazal expanded on that idea. Uh, A famous story in the Talmud that a husband was angry at a wife, a whole story between them, and he accused her of something, and she said no, and then uh, the, the, the test was that if she went and she spat at Rabbi Meir, uh, then uh, they would be reconciled. So she came to the base medrash, and she spat at Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir knew the story, and she spat at him. And he uh, he allowed it to happen. So his talmidim, his students, said to him, Rabbi, kach mevazin Torah. That's how you let Torah be. Uh, shamed that a woman from the street because she's got a problem should come and spit at you and you should let it happen 
And Rameyer answered. He said, we have a halacha of sota, of a woman that's suspected of infidelity. Part of the process of the sota was that they took a parchment that had this parsha written on it, and included in this parsha was the ineffable name of God, the four-letter name of God. And they took the parsha and they dipped it in water. The water dissolved the ink from the parsha so that God's name was erased, so to speak. So a mayor said, look, if God is willing to allow his name to be erased so that there can be harmony in the family between this husband and wife, so then who is Reb Meir not to allow himself to undergo what looks like an embarrassment, an insult, in order to bring peace about between a husband and wife. And that concept uh, reverberates throughout the Talmud. That a person has to allow himself. I remember... uh, I was once at a uh, at a convention, a uh, large convention of uh, of a Jewish organization in uh, the United States, and uh, I was there with uh, one of the great uh, great men of the, that generation, and uh, he knew that when uh, uh, he would enter the hall everyone would stand up for him and there was there uh, uh, a younger man who was having all sorts of problems Uh, he wasn't respected in his community he was having marital problems etc and so the great rabbi said to me go over and fetch that man bring him here and when he came so he took him by the arm and he marched in together with him. So when everybody stood up, he told him, he said, your wife will see that everybody stands up for you. You'll see that'll help. She'll have, you, she'll have more, more of an understanding because everybody stands up for you. So the, uh, so uh, I, you know, in my uh, great... Uh, Understanding of the matter, so when I drove him home later, I said to him, but you know, Rebbe, it's not honest. If he would have walked in by himself, nobody would have stood up for him, right? So he looked at me and he said, This is Gemara. He said, Honest up there. I'm better than Remeyer. Remeyer's better than the Rebbe Shalalim. If you can help in a domestic dispute, if you can help somehow to patch it up, so then, you know, so what do you mean, honest? You have to be willing to somehow have your name erased in the waters in order that peace should prevail. So it's such an overriding value that that's the bakesh shalom rodfeo, that's the pursuit of peace. you got to look for a way to make it. Say, the man didn't come to him and say, can I walk in with you? It'll help me. But he knew the situation. And he knew that it would help him. And therefore, he pursued it. He said, go fetch him. Go bring him here to me. We're going to walk in together. 
So we'll be able to stand up. You'll see that it'll have a salutary effect upon your wife. And that will help in the matter of Shalom. We have a concept in Halacha called Darke Shalom. Paths of peace. So the rabbis made tikkunos because of Darke Shalom. For instance, in our relationship with the non-Jewish world. And so, not just the non-Jewish world, but the pagan world. The difference. With a world that worships idols. The rabbis said you have to support their poor. Can't say, well, well, if I support them, it only contributes to more paganism. Uh, the rabbi said that you have to bury their dead, you have to heal their sick, you have to clothe their naked. We are responsible, because that's dark Sholem. That's the harmony in the world. And the fact that you want to limit it to yourself, uh, that was not uh, part of it. That was not allowed. And the rabbi said that that's why the Gemara the says, Why was original man created only one? I mean, why didn't God start the world with a million people? Why did he start it with one? And he said, the rabbi said, I'm greater than your father. I'm a miyuchas. I'm greater than you are. But we're all equal. And that was really uh, Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence uh, mentions that he took that phrase from an old Judaic book that all men are created equal. They're all created equal, which is the basis of somehow achieving peace. Not only are we, uh, because of Dark Sholom, to treat pagans and uh, to extend to them a sense of uh, belonging, so to speak. I used to notice in Muncie, when I was the Rav there, that on Purim, when poor, poor people came to collect money, some of them weren't Jewish. So people used to complain to me, you're letting, uh, come you're letting them into the shul. I would always quote this Gemara to them, right? They dark Sholem, right? We're responsible. If he comes, you have to, you have to give money. You have to give it to him. The Alochan Purim is called Yad, no Whoever sticks out his hand, you have to give. So that's the idea of Sholem, of harmony, of not to differentiate. So the rabbi stretched it even to Jews who worship paganism, which is worse than pagans who worship paganism. The rabbi said, Go to La Sholom, great is peace. Look how great peace is. Shafilu Yisrael Ovdim Avodah The Jewish people worship Avodah Zorah. V'sholom But they, they live good with each other, right? Gemara says this regarding the generation of Achav. The Gemara asks as follows. Achav, who was the king of Israel, the uh, persecutor of Elio Anovi, who is uh, 
not ranked very high amongst the righteous, and he uh, worshipped Avodah Zorah, he did everything wrong. But in the time of Achav, for one reason or another, that was a harmonious society. The Gemara says, Shalonimsa Dilaturim. Nobody informed about anybody else. Nobody spoke Loshon Hora about anybody else. Acho sent out, I'm looking for Elio. Where is Elio? Nobody, nobody volunteered any information. So the Gemara says that when Acho went to war, he was a great warrior king, a successful warrior king. When he went to war, there almost were no casualties amongst his army. But when David HaMelech went to war, so David HaMelech is the great king of Israel, He's the author of Tehillim. He's the head of the Sanhedrin. He's David Melech Yisrael Chai Vekayom. He's the greatest, right? They had tremendous casualties in all the battles. Because, the Gemara says, because in the time of David, they disputed with each other. They said Loshan Hora about each other. They informed against each other. God doesn't like that. So, Great great is peace, peace that even when pagan when 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 Jews are pagans pagans but if somehow there is a society of peace between them so then somehow the situation will not be lost. It's not disastrous. says one of his great, great insight insights. One of his great insights. One of his great insights. He says that is that is that is that he says that is that that says that says that he says that. My apologies that the uh, recording we're using is having a little bit of audio trouble. We'll see if we can continue here at JM and the Amethyst Barrel Wine. God hates it. God hates. Okay. Uh, Rabbi Barrel Wine series on Jewish values is um, is where we're at on this uh, JM and the AM Monday morning of our nine days format. And um, I think what we'll do is we'll continue since the <laughs> since the uh, lecture on peace was not being presented too peacefully. We'll continue with the lecture on family. 
Right, Barrel Wines uh, series at 1-800-499-WEIN or uh, RabbiWine.com. This is the beginning of his series. I should say this is the beginning of his um, presentation on the subject of family in the Jewish Values series here at JM in the AM. Family is a very difficult uh, topic to discuss because it's uh, sensitive, emotional, and... Uh, Everybody has their own stories to tell about it. But family as a value uh, is the, one of really the basic pillars of Judaism. The Rabboni Shalom said to us, Your family do I know from all of the families which exist in the world. And uh, Judaism, which is a faith, uh, Jews are a nation, Jews are a race, Jews are a religion, the Jews are a family. And we see ourselves as being a family. And the family has uh, ups and downs, but a family has a bond uh, that is able to span all generations. And really that indicates more than anything else what the Jewish people are. If we were not a family, for instance, we would not have been able to accomplish the ingathering of the exiles which has taken place here in the land of Israel over the last 60 years. And people from all parts of the world, uh, different cultures, uh, different experiences, different colors, uh, different traditions. But because it's family, it's family. I uh, always... Uh, think of uh, the famous story with Rabbi Soloveitchik uh, in New York. Uh, the Soloveitchiks are well known for their family affiliation, uh, no matter uh, what or who you are. If you're related to them, so then, uh, then they'll go through anything for you. So uh, he was uh, in his uh, heyday as a, uh, as a Rosh Yeshiva, he was saying the shir in Yeshiva's Rabbeinu Yitzchok Honen in New York, and uh, he was a terror. I mean, he, uh, the, the students, uh, he brooked uh, no uh, comments and uh, silly questions, and, you know, you sat there in awe. And uh, once he was teaching, uh, and he explained a matter, uh, a difficult matter in the Talmud, and the student had the temerity to raise his hand and say, Rebbe, Rebaran doesn't say like that. So Rabbi Soloveitchik assumed that Rebaran meant Rebaran Cutler, the, uh, the other major Rosh Yeshiva in America, the founder of the Lakewood Yeshiva, the Kletzka Rosh Yeshiva. So he waved them off, you know, he kept on going. But the student persisted. And after another minute, he raised his hand, and he said, Rebbe, but Rebaran doesn't say like that. So now Rabbi Soloveitchik uh, fixed him with an atomic look, and he said, uh, who cares what Rebaran says, right? Where, uh, and he kept on going. The student does it for a third time. He raises his hand, and he says, Rebaran, Rebbe, Rebaran does not say like that. So now Rabbi Soloveitchik is, you know, the steam is coming out from his ears. 
And uh, he says, I don't care what Rabbi Cutler says. And the student said, no, not Rabbi Aaron Cutler, your brother Rabbi Aaron. He said, oh, get up and say what he says, please. <laughs> the Torah saw the Jewish people as a family. And therefore, family became a value. And the preservation of family is, one could say, the primary value in Jewish life. When God chooses Avraham Avinu to be the father of our people, and the one that brings monotheism to the world, to other civilizations as well, so God does not list his piety, nor does God list his intelligence, nor does he even list the sacrifice and the risk of life that Avraham Avinu undertook in order to promote monotheism, that he went into the furnace of fire, or the ten nisionos that he had. None of that is listed. The Rabboni Sholem says, Why did I choose Avraham? Ki yodativ l'man asher He will be able to build a family. He'll be able to inculcate it in his children and in generations that come afterwards that they will go in the path of God and they'll continue in his mission. So it makes Avram, and we call him Avram Avinu, Avram our father. We don't call him by any other name. We call him our father. So what makes Avram Avram is family. And therefore, the Chumash Breshis deals only with the story of family. Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Yosef, the brothers. So the family there also has ups and downs. Has misunderstandings and disputes. But at the end of the Parsha, at the end of the Chumash, at the end of the story, the Jewish people are a family. And that became our hallmark. And the Torah says, You're not allowed to close your eyes to your relatives, to your family. And therefore, Jews are bound together by a bond of blood, not only by a bond of faith. Uh, that's a very, very important thing because it colors our entire attitude. It enables us, you know, somehow to be able to uh, rise above all of the problems that we have and all the differences that we have. And we're a very fractious people, we have always been. And we're able to rise above all of that because, you know, it's my brother, so let's hear what he has to say. In our time, in our generation, over the last 35 years, especially in Western civilization, in the United States, in Europe, and here in Israel as well, unfortunately, the family has been under siege. The traditional concepts, marriage, children, family, two parents in a home, all of that has been uh, decimated. I want to read for you a, uh, 
portion of an article that appeared in the New York Times, uh, I think it was either last Saturday or Sunday. Uh, the article was written by a man by the name of David Brooks, and he uh, imagines that he meets Karl Marx today. And Karl Marx tells him that his old manifesto, what he said about the working class and about the uh, capitalism, etc., uh, he admits that all of that is wrong, right? That's been disproved. But he has a new manifesto. And the new manifesto, uh, he uh, writes about it, what Marx would say today. I think we'll continue with that tomorrow morning. We'll kick off our Jam in the AM Tuesday program in our nine days format with uh, the current lecture that we're doing with Harry Burrow Wine on family from the Jewish Values series here at JM in the AM. Phone number for information, 1-800-499-WEIN or RabbiWine.com. Uh, there'll be no edition of the Israel Show with Mayor Weingarten this week due to the nine days. That'll uh, come back Bezrat Hashem next week here after JM in the AM on Mondays between 9 and 10 o'clock. Our other Monday morning programming will continue. Uh, you'll hear everything uh, in its entirety starting at 10 a.m. on. We also recommend the NSN app and remind everybody that as the NSN app sits on your iPhone and Android. You're able to comment on anything you hear by doing just that, by commenting on the home screen of the app. That's how it works, and um, that's how you can do it. I um, want to thank those who've commented uh, to me about the uh, presentation that we replayed of my father of blessed memory and his recollections of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Did that in the 8 o'clock hour. If you missed any of it, you can head to the archives later on at jmnam.org or on the NSN app and um, appreciate the biography, the short biography that he gave through those vignettes of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. My brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM Dial Broadcasting Live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. More tomorrow in our nine days format here at JM and the AM, and I thank you all for tuning in. Till tomorrow, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.